At MasterCard, we believe that women-owned small businesses are uniquely inspiring. They're pillars of the community and have a measurable impact on the people within them. It's their secret sauce. We are deeply committed to helping address the daily challenges of all Canadian small businesses by putting our technology, cybersecurity solutions, digital resources, and partnerships to work for you every day. Discover them today at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. MasterCard, start something priceless. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. The last three years have been tough on Canadian entrepreneurs. That's why we are so excited to announce the 2023 Startup Canada Tour, a five-stop national opportunity to connect entrepreneurs across Canada. Join us for keynotes, panels, and practical workshops, an exhibitor zone featuring Canada's support organizations, speed mentoring in our Ask the Expert lounge, and an opportunity to compete in on-site pop-up pitches. We will be in Whitehorse on April 25th, Halifax on May 2nd, Vancouver on May 11th, Calgary on September 28th, and stay tuned for details on our final stop in Ontario. Want a free pass? Use code PODCAST at checkout. Learn more and get tickets now for the closest stop near you at startupcanadatour.ca. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday to hear new stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're excited to speak with Tina Singh, the founder of Bold Helmets, the first safety certified helmet for sick kids with a top knot of long uncut hair prescribed by the sick faith. For years, Tina worked as an occupational therapist with patients who have suffered brain injuries and experience that showed her the importance of protecting your head with a safe and well-fitted helmet. But as a mom of three children who wear patkas, a sick head covering, finding helmets that fit her children properly was a challenge. Bold Helmets is her answer for safety and inclusion for sick children so that they can participate in play and sport. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, we're delighted to have you here. The traditional first question we ask at the Startup Canada podcast is, what's the top piece of advice that you want fellow entrepreneurs to take away? from today's conversation. Let's get to the good stuff right away. Always try to be solving problems. And if your first solution doesn't work, try, try again. <laughs> All right. The problem solving is the, the big part. When did you first sense the problem around kids' helmets and how they would apply to children with uncut hair, such as six? So 
I have three sons and my oldest now is 10 years old, but when he was about five, he was already pretty good at riding a bike and traditional helmets, we were able to fit them on up to a certain point. But then after he turned about four or five years old, we started to notice that when we put the helmet on his head, it just would sit much too high to protect his forehead. And so, you know, we tried to some creative options like hollowing out the inside of the foam. And of course, in retrospect, we realized these were bad choices, but these are choices many families make. Um, so, you know, so, <laughs> I, I, see, I see the problem. Yeah, and some people go as far as cutting a hole in the helmet. And so, you know, that's when we started to notice that there's a problem when he was about four or five years old. And so we sat with the idea for a little bit and I said to my husband, you know, can't we just make a helmet that's a little bit different shape that would just fit and so that they didn't need our help to change the way we were tying their hair and if they didn't feel limited in what they could do because as a parent there's certain things I don't let my kids do without a helmet right and so that really was the first seed about five years ago and thinking about this idea and then about two and a half or three years ago is when we finally took the plunge to sort of make a committed effort towards working towards this goal. Wow so the problem is simply that uh, in Ontario uh, and probably in another in a number of other provinces, uh, children can't get on a bicycle, ride a bicycle without having a helmet, right? It's a legal requirement, yeah, up to age 18. Exactly. So uh, a, a big problem. And obviously, monkeying around with an existing commercial helmet is going to um, reduce its effectiveness. And that's a pretty serious thing. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. As I went through this process, I learned more about you know, the internal foam and what it's meant to do. And so I don't think it's just me. I think it's many parents went around down this route. And uh, yeah, like it really does. It really changes its ability to do its job. So t tell me, t tell me about the helmet that you've come up with and which you're now selling on your website. Um, and, and then we'll get into the long, hard journey and the learnings along the way. But to, can you describe the product to me now? Yeah. So the helmet looks like a traditional bucket style helmet with the exception of like a dome feature on the top that basically is a cavity to hold the top knot inside the helmet. And so in all other aspects, it's very much like a traditional bucket style helmet. Um, we haven't changed anything else about the shape or the, or the straps or anything like that. It's just simply with the additional cavity on top. Right. And uh, does, the, does the presence of this cavity, sort of a bulge at the top of the helmet, does that affect... Um, the, the the efficiency of the helmet anyway so we've gone through all the testing that is required to sell hem helmets in canada us and the uk and so our testing here that was that is generally used for most helmets is cpsc 1203 testing and so we've done that testing and received a passing grade across across the board for all the tests that we've completed so it's met the mark like other helmets that you would find in the stores fabulous fabulous okay now uh it if someone is listening to this and says, wow, um, I need to get one of these now, or maybe better still two or three, um, where do they go? They can visit our website, www.boldhelmets.com. And they can get all the information about the helmets and you know the size that it fits and all that, all right there. I got to ask you about the name. Um, in the, 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 the uh, inspirational British Empire movies that I've seen in my times, uh, six were renowned for their courage, for their steadfastness. What does bold mean to you and why is that part of the brand name? So 
we originally started with the the name Sick Helmets. That was originally our name. And, you know, we got some feedback from our community members that felt that it was making it seem as if the whole community endorsed this product. And, and we, you know, we can be very clear that they don't. I think there's been a bit of confusion as to who this helmet is for. It's not meant to cover a full turban. It's meant to cover a butka, right? A small cloth covering and for kids only. And so, you know, we made a pivot to the name. And then when we did that, I really thought about what I wanted out of these helmets. And, you know, my word for 2023 was bold. And I knew I had to be bold because this is something new on the market and something that some people might not understand. Um, and so I really thought of naming it Bold Helmet because I want my kids to be bold in following their faith, but, but also bold in participating in the activities and everything that they want to do. And so it felt like the perfect fit. That's cool. Uh, that sounds like uh, really good marketing. Um, you had this moment when you saw, okay, this is a problem and it's affecting our kids, is potentially affecting our kids' safety, their ability to, 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 to fit in. Um, what was the aha moment that made you say, possibly you and your husband say, we're going to do this ourselves? I think for me, it was just the fact that I realized that time was going by, honestly. Like, I think as, you know, we had this idea like, you know, five years ago and then, you know, two years had passed by and, you know, my oldest kids, my oldest youth started playing hockey and that became another struggle. And so, you know, every weekend we were dealing with that mess and, I think that was kind of the moment where I was like, if we're not doing anything about this now, this is not going to get any easier. Sure, our kids will get older, but it's going to take some years. We're also putting them at risk and there still won't be an option, right? For kids other than ours, um, sorry, other kids in addition to ours. And so I think it was that passage of time that I felt like if I didn't seize this opportunity to create something that I felt would be valuable, that I was going to miss that option or miss that time. That was really what it was. Right, right. And you brought it up, so let's talk hockey. I mean, cycling, yeah, there's a few people who do it, but hockey is the, is the national sport. I, I know, not officially. Lacrosse, we'll get to lacrosse later. Um, are you working on a hockey helmet? Is that next? Absolutely. Yep, that is next. That's on our list next. Good to know. Tell me about uh, your, your kids. They're still young. They're, they're still able, to, able, able to, to use the bold helmets, so, so, so you, you, you know... You, you, you did it quickly. I know it didn't feel like it was quick. Yeah. Relatively pretty quick compared to some of the entrepreneurial stories I know. Um, what's what's the reaction simply to the experience of, of, of wearing these helmets and having them available? So I think at this point, so many years later, they're a little bit sick of talking about helmets. That's the truth. But they, um, you know, they were heavily involved in the entire process. And that's part of the reason, right? So, you know, from the beginning of like, you know, measuring their foreheads, see how low a helmet needs to fit. Like I did all that with them. One of them went to the engineer with me. And so, you know, they've been involved in trying helmets and picking colors and doing all that. And so they're excited that it's here and they've been part of it all, which has been a really exciting for my husband and I to have them part of this journey. But now, you know, one of the things that they're telling me that they're most excited about is to not have me nag them anymore, which is interesting because when they want to go to the skate park and take their scooters down skateboard ramps, which gives me like a mini heart attack as a parent watching them, um, they, they are excited for me to not stop them because they don't have a helmet because that has been something in the past. Like I've, there are certain things like that where I've had to 
say like, I'm not okay with this, or we got to try to tie your hair to the back, or we got to find another solution, or you can't do it. And so they're excited to not hear me nag at them about a helmet. That's what they say. Right. Forgive me for not knowing this, um, but uh, skateboarding, does that have um, helmet re- legal helmet requirements? It does, yeah. So this this helmet in particular, the one we've designed, is certified for use with a bicycle, kick scooter, inline skates, and skateboarding. So we did do the extra designation for skateboarding because it is a bucket style helmet, and I feel like those activities kind of go together. Um, and so we wanted to make sure that we had that designation as well. Wow! And these are all growth areas. I mean, <laughs> yeah, growth industries. So that's 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 fabulous. Um, tell me about your journey what, what were your first steps what were your first missteps and tell me all the stuff you learned along the way yeah so when we first started my husband and i thought about what we thought the shape should look like and to us it seemed you know obvious to us that it should follow the shape of a butt or should just follow the shape of the kid's head with the top knot and we didn't think any huge modification was necessary we just thought this additional dome portion would do the trick and that's kind of the route we went and so we hired an engineer to help us draw out the design so that we could take that further to a manufacturer or someone who knew about helmet testing and design. And so once we got to that stage, I would say that the, one of the major um, changes that we made or something we learned along the way is that we originally thought that we could have the dome portion without foam inside, because in my mind, you've got one to two inches of hair, really, like in practice and using the helmet, you've got one or two inches of hair at least cushioning that area. And so I thought maybe it'll lead to a better fit. And so if we don't have foam in that area, maybe it'll work better. And so as we learned more about the testing, so even though it was our original design, as we learned more about the testing, we realized that one of the tests involved in this process is dropping an anvil on the top of the helmet. And so we very quickly realized that if we don't have foam in that portion, that dome portion, it's not gonna pass safety testing and requirements. So no matter what our feeling was about real life use or putting it into use in the real world, we knew it had to hit the mark for all the testing. And so we went back and then modified the internal foam so that it followed the shape or the curvature of that dome portion. Um, And so thankfully that was the only major change that we made um, throughout the process. And then once we had that, that's when we had to go to testing, but it sounds very sequential and it sounds very, quick, but it was not any of those things. It was a lot of back and forth because you learn things along the way. And so before we even got to the point of testing, you have to build a mold, which is several thousand dollars, make Mm -hmm. the mold, create the helmets, send them for testing. If they pass the testing, great, you can go into production. But if they don't, you need to bring it back, redesign, recreate a mold and start again. And so um, thankfully, we didn't have too many of those. And so it uh, so it didn't take as long as we thought it might. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a long time in, in, in just designing and waiting. Um, but I will say that the pandemic being, uh, you know, a big chunk of time where we were working on some of the design of this project, it actually helped me in a strange way. And I'm sure you don't hear business owners say that often, but because people were so willing to do things virtually, it gave me an opportunity as a, as a mom of three, who's very busy to be able to connect with engineers and, and, you know, manufacturers in a way that was virtual that allowed me to connect with them faster than I would have any other time. That's very cool. Um, I'm actually struck by how quickly you got it all done because we're talking about not just 
um, product design, <clears throat> excuse me, and manufacture from the ground up. But then we're also talking about a testing process that in different industries can sometimes take years. So um, I think you set a world land speed record. Well, it's so the testing process with helmets, it's not the testing that takes long. The testing might just take a couple of weeks. It's a matter of getting to the point where you're actually right. able to spend yeah. anything for testing. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you were lucky in that your initial design, which you for which you had the mold made, that passed the test. So you didn't have to go back and, and redo that. Yeah, that would ha have been a very um, expensive do over. Um, so I was really thankful when I got that report with the passing mark. So um, that was definitely a victory for me. Right. And let me put on my legal hat. Uh, do you have a patent on this? So it's patent pending. Yes. Yeah. Fabulous. The mold, I mean, I've heard that that can cost, you know, the, depending obviously on what it is, but getting a mold done can be a forty or $50,000 project. Was yours around that ballpark or hopefully not? Well, so the mold itself was uh, a little bit less. The mold itself was only about 15000 I say only, only about $15,000 for the mold. Used um, car, yeah. Yeah, but the the whole process is is the whole process quite frankly to be honest has been very expensive from beginning to end because you're starting from from scratch. You know, we're not reinventing um you know the wheel with a lot of these things. Like we didn't change straps, we didn't change materials or anything like that. We tried to keep it as close to a helm like a traditional helmet as we could because we feel that those things worked. Um, but yeah, no, it does get very expensive when you're trying to change the mold of a product that already exists and then also get it tested because it has to meet those standards. So yes, it does get quite expensive. Did you sit down and work out a budget for how much you figured it would cost early on? I think one really important point to note here is that sometimes I just have to wing it. Like that's kind of how I do things. I had no budget at all. I had an idea as to what the design, like the early work with the engineer was going to cost. But when it came down to working with a manufacturer to build the mold and all that, I, I didn't know. I kind of just was like, I've already committed to this and we're, we're doing it. Like it wasn't, uh, I didn't take too much time to budget out what it was going to cost you from beginning to end because I really didn't know. Um, and, you know, another thing I'll say is that I actually didn't have anyone to ask. Like I tried to find other people doing work like this and I just couldn't. Like there was no one else I knew who had taken a product like a helmet, modified it and built their own. You know, other than the big companies that make their standard, you know, bike helmets and, and um, hockey gear and all of that, like there was there was no one for me to reach out to. And so I think that was a big challenge, too. And for anyone trying, you know, starting a new business, definitely get yourself a mentor if you can find one. Absolutely. That, that's exactly the conversation I wanted to, to have by asking you the budget question. I mean, how do you, can you possibly budget for a project you've never done before and have no idea how long it will take? But that's, you know, one of the first decisions and assumptions and commitments you have to make as an entrepreneur is, yeah, we're going all in on this and, uh, and, and uh, we, we don't know enough. And there's a whole yeah. school of thought around entrepreneurship that entrepreneurship is making decisions with, with insufficient information. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's definitely me. That is definitely me. Yeah. And so, as you suggested, the most important thing you can do is try and reduce the amount of, uh, uh, of unknowns out there and to find a mentor or some professionals who've, who can sort of advise you and guide you along the way is, is super important. Um, industrial design is this really 
um, specific area um, that, and it's an expensive uh, profession to hire, but with so many entrepreneurs, they have to sort of uh, get their mitts around it and find people who can advise them on dealing with these experts and finding ways to, uh, to make it cheaper along the way. It's, it, it, it's a tough thing. My experience with some entrepreneurs has been that um, industrial designers are pretty well paid, so they don't mind chatting with you if you approach them, you know, if you can approach them through, say, a, a third party, someone who knows both of you or something. So it's really worth it to try and find those those mentors um, early on because they can save you so much time and aggravation and possibly money. <laughs> That's right. And I wish, you know, I really wish I had that. And so, you know, I hope I can do that for someone one day. I hope someone asks me and I would be happy to help someone in this space because I've, I've learned so much. And if I can help someone else avoid some of the challenges that I face, faced, I would def I definitely would love to do that. Right. And that's how we build an entrepreneurship community, a strong entrepreneurship right. community in Canada is by sharing those, those, those lessons. So thank you for that. For, for, for that offer, boldhelmets.com, people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tina, Tina's standing by eight hours a day. Yeah. <laughs> um, tell me about the, uh, the, 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 the plan going forward. Right now, we can only buy the product online at boldhelmets.com. Um, That's right. What do you think the future looks like? Is, is, is a deal with Canadian Tire a possibility? I think that because this is a niche product, I've sort of focused on e-commerce only. Um, that being said, I don't think that something like that is off the table. I think it would be wonderful to get this product into communities that have a population that could benefit from it. And, you know, it's not off the table, but it's just not something I've, I've done yet. I think when it comes to more of the international market, looking at the UK, that I think is something that would be great for me to look at because... Um, you know, product shipping out of Canada to the UK, we also want to make sure we're not um, overwhelming our customers with shipping costs, right? So um, to have this product available in some of the areas in UK more locally would be would be wonderful and something I will definitely look into. Yeah, I was reading somewhere that there's what, three quarters of a million six or something in in the UK. So that's a <laughs> so, yeah, many, many generations of six in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that's an amazing possibility. Um, you've had a little bit of media coverage. Has it uh, resulted in any outreaches to you from any potential business partners, importers, exporters, um, consultants, retailers, etc.? So I feel that I've had an overwhelming amount of media, which is wonderful, which is wonderful, way more than I expected. Um, and so that's all been good. And it's led to a lot of traction in a lot of places. And one of those places is LinkedIn. And so I've had people reach out to me. Um, and even on Instagram, actually, people reach out to me that own bike shops who are, are distributors in the UK and, you know, distributors in the US and India, like lots of lots of places who want the product to be able to distribute there. And so I feel like that has been really helpful, along with um, connections to those who do uh you know, to help design future products and all that. And so I think the media coverage has really helped um, me reach other Canadians who, who have businesses and have connections to, you know, propel the product further, which has been wonderful. That's great. Um, any advice for other entrepreneurs who dream of getting media coverage? Um, 
how to deal with that because you know some of the people who contact you will be out and out uh, scourges and knaves and some of them will be potentially helpful and most of them won't be helpful at all <laughs> so how do, yeah. How, yeah how do you filter um, them out well you know you have to take you know when it comes to media coverage it's 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 good because it helps bring brand awareness right but um when it comes to the actual conversion of that media to what it's going to bring you the connections are usually great and i would say that when you do get some of those requests because i do get those people i get people who are messaging me or emailing me repeatedly trying to sell me their service um honestly i take everything in good faith that that's that's kind of my policy like if someone is messaging me honestly they're shooting their shot and there's nothing wrong with that i think that's that's part of the game right and when it comes to some people reaching out and you know maybe it not being so helpful sometimes i say like i i can't connect right now i'm sorry i don't think that this is going to work for me and i think that you need to be honest about it but also be open to the idea that maybe you misunderstood what they do <laughs> that's another thing too so i feel like sometimes i've said to people I don't think this is right for me. And they turn around and say, let me tell you more about what I do. And then I'm like, oh, right, this would be <laughs> wonderful. So I think um, you kind of just got to filter through. And if something really is not going to be right for you, it's okay to say, thank you so much for reaching out. I really appreciate it. Uh, however, I don't think this is going to be a fit for me right now. Or maybe we can talk again in, you know, in, in two months or whatever it is. And so I, I think it's honesty is the best policy, right. I think. I, I, I love your three-part formula. So have an open mind, deal in good faith. <laughs> and say no as quick as you can. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If it's no, yeah. it's no. Uh, I, I think that's uh, very sound advice. Um, just tell me a little bit about the manufacturing process for the helmet. Uh, where are, are they being made? So they're being manufactured in Shanghai. And so the, the process is like that. Um, is it out mold, in mold, out mold, one of the molds. <laughs> it's made, made in a mold. It's made like any other helmet. This is a, this is a, a factory that produces helmets. So that's what they do. So they make helmets for, for many different groups um, and uh, supply across, you know, North America and the, uh, and Europe as well. And so, you know, they're following their standard procedure using our mold and um, yeah, like I hope to make it out there one day. Like I want to make it out there to see it. Um, pandemic life has led to me not being able to do that, but I hope one day I'm able to go out and, and actually visit and really see where everything is being made. Right. Um, and I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who've, you know, China has become a regular part of their, their, their travel pattern uh, for exactly those reasons. But you yeah. haven't been able to do that. You couldn't do a quality, quality control check or site inspection. So what have you learned about yeah. dealing remotely halfway around the world with, with manufacturers in China? Um, I've had a very positive experience, so I think I got I think I got lucky. I do know people who have not have a, had a positive experience, but I think that's just kind of the luck of the draw. I, you know, really sifted through the options that I had um, for manufacturing to make sure you know we were in line with the product, you know, because this is something new. And to be honest, when you're a like an individual person um, with no previous business experience and you're creating a whole new product not every manufacturer will work with you either. And I think that was news to me also. Like I, I didn't realize that there was vendors, not only vendors, but also like engineering firms who wouldn't want to work with you because, you know, they felt a way about either the product that you're making or how viable your idea was. And that was really interesting to me throughout this journey. I never expected that. I figured you're paying someone to do something. If you pay them the right amount of money, they'll do it. But apparently it doesn't work that way. So I'll say that I had a positive experience. 
because I was I was um, particular about who I chose to make the product. Um, usually, the children of entrepreneurs go, go without a lot, <laughs> a lot of attention, yeah. a lot of other stuff. Um, but in your case, that your kids were probably your you know your, your your first models, and they probably tried various prototypes, and they're intimately involved with the process. How do they how do they actually yeah. feel? Um, having these helmets that let them participate in the sports they love and knowing that their parents did so much to bring this about. I mean, I, like I would like to think as they get older, they'd be more appreciative. Kids are kids. They're, they're 10, nine and seven. And so I think that, like I said, they're, they're sick of talking about helmets, but they have them. They'll put them on when they're going outside. And so right now I just have these three samples that I have that you've probably seen in every newscast. Um, but they're my three samples, but they are finished products just without the labels on them. And so um, anytime we, we go out, I let them use them. But now the weather's getting warmer and my shipment is coming in. And so they'll be able to have their own. And so they're excited to not, like I, like I said, they're excited to not think about it. They're excited to just pick up, put on a helmet and go do what they want to do with, with their friends down the street and like everyone else. And so I think they're excited about that. And yeah, just excited about not having to think twice about things like the skate park. Because I think that's, that was a big one for me um, as a parent, uh, letting them, you know, try different things. Because riding a bike is one thing once they've learned, you know, they're going at a slow pace in the neighborhood. But when it comes to things like skateboard, like skateboarding and ramps and stuff like that, that's the part of me that was very stressed out. So now they're looking forward to me not saying no and doing things a little bit more freely, I think. Right. That's that's fabulous. And that must make it- you and them feel so much better. Yeah, well, it makes me feel better for sure. We'll, we'll see what they say at the end of the summer. But for me, <laughs> I, I feel much better. Right. So the, the early days of pre-sales, how did they go? And uh, did they meet your expectations? So like I said earlier, I'm just winging it. I didn't have any expectations. I'm just trying to sell, <laughs> you know, and you'll see that in a lot of my journey because it's new for me. And, you know, I will say that I come from like a family of, business people right so like my dad I would say is very much the same way as me he always tells me that you know when you get an opportunity you take it and you go and he's been very successful and so I think for me that's kind of the route I'm going pre-sales went pre-sales went great we opened up to Canada first and then the U.S. and now we're taking like direct orders to consumers we just offered our pre-sale at you know a little bit of a, a reduced rate for the people waiting for their order um but yeah it's all going according to, like as expected and I'm hoping to actually do a little like pop-up across a couple of the states. So that's, uh, that's exciting um, because I think I, this is the kind of product I would love to have people try, see, get their hands on um, because I think that's part of, the, part of the beauty of this kind of product. And so maybe you'll see me in a little bit of a pop-up shop across, the, across some of the states. Fantastic. Yeah, we'll, we'll come along and visit you. We'll bring a camera crew <laughs> and get this right. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so exciting. Um, can I just ask, and you can not tell me if you want, but the, it strikes me that financing an order for however many hundreds or thousands of helmets that you've ordered, um, that would be a pretty daunting thing. Were you able to get financing for that? Or can you tell me anything about how that works? So I didn't order a huge, huge batch to start with. Like it, like it wasn't anything crazy. And I would say that that wasn't the most expensive part of this journey. Like I will say that it, the the original, like, engineering and mold work and all that kind of stuff was the expensive part of it. But thankfully, you know, because we took it a little bit slow and, you know, when it came to the cost, we were able to break it up a little bit. We were able to self-fund the product, the project. So um, 
I haven't had to take on um, any, you know, investors yet, but I'm hoping to probably for the next batch of product because, you know, we're looking for innovation. We're looking at working on, you know, getting a hockey helmet out there and all that. And so that's kind of like going back to the drawing board again with a new mold and new design and all of that. And so I, uh, I think this is where I'm going to expand my business is to bring on some advisors, bring on some investors so that I can do more faster. Right. And this is why success can be so expensive. Yeah. In entrepreneurship yeah. Because now your ambitions grow and now the number of activities grow. It's never enough, and... right? One wasn't enough. Now it has to be more. <laughs> never enough. That's exactly right. That's, that's the, 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 the whole secret of it. Um, how different do things have to be for you to match the standards needed in football or hockey? So every sport has its own testing standard, right? That it has to meet, generally speaking, for most sports. And so something like hockey, for example, would be very different, of course, than baseball or football. And so every sport has their own. And so that's something that I have to research, right? Like what are the standards? And then also what are the standards, you know, across where I want to sell the product, right? So Canada and US generally have the same standards, but sometimes UK is different, right? And so trying to just figure that out. It involves a lot of research. And so I, I can't even answer your question yet because I feel like there's so much more research I need to do there to be, to be able to know. Right, okay. One, One step, step at a time. <laughs> have you had any chance to, in, to sit back and sort of say, hey, we did what we set out to do? Has, has that, have, you, have you given yourself permission to enjoy that? Not at all. Yet? <laughs> not at all. That is, that is the <laughs> truth. It's not at all because I feel like, you know, I'm still so much in the thick of it. And I know I should take that time to enjoy this. But I think until I'm able to get, you know, feedback from people who've had the product and, you know, innovate it further, or create more, I feel like that, that's what it is. Like, once you start doing it, you just want to do more. And, you know, sometimes you get caught in the cycle of, well, when this happens, I'll really be able to sit back, and enjoy it. And when this happens, I'll be really able to sit back and enjoy it. And so my husband is really good at that. You know, he's really good at saying like, look, what, look at what we've accomplished, look at where we are. And so he's good at that, but I am not. I'm like, well, but what about this? Our boxes haven't come in yet. What if, like before the testing, it was like, until that test report is in my hand. And the test report was in my hand. I was like, wait a minute, but I also need the production done. You know what I mean? So it never ends. It never ends. And as you said, it's never enough. Um, but hey, you have to stop and enjoy it once in a while and say, hey, look where we've come. So. It's a lesson I'm learning. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so please do that because you've accomplished so much. Um, you know, obviously, entrepreneurship is never a smooth path. Just wondering if there was a moment when you wanted to give it all up and what kept you going. So in the early days, there were many moments like that because, um, you know, once it's it, it's very expensive to work with an engineering firm to draw out something that you that you that you know so even though I knew very much what I wanted the shape to look like because you know we need a CAD file we need all these things in order to move the project forward I think that process was very expensive and so I think you know once I started it like once I actually signed that document and committed to starting it I knew I was going to see it through because I, I, I couldn't live with the fact that, oh, I spent X amount of dollars on engineering, but that didn't take the project further. I was like, that was it. That was the moment where I was like, I knew I would have to take it all the way. Uh, but before then, there was many moments where, you know, I just felt like, well, they're getting older. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. And I just felt like it was in my head. But, you know, I, I've spent so many years as an occupational therapist working in head injury. And I was like, when it comes to our kids, and this helmet is designed for kids who are five plus, 
when it comes to our kids, I think we really, it sh we shouldn't be in a situation where we don't have something that works for them when it comes to something as basic as a helmet, right? Like, so I think that was part of it. It's like, it's not only going to benefit my kids, it'll benefit other kids like mine. And so, you know, as a sick, there's something, you know, we're, we're taught and it's called SEVA, which means selfless community service. And so even though this was a lot of money out of pocket in a self-funded project, I, I reminded myself many times when I wanted to give up on this journey because it felt overwhelming and I didn't know what to do, that if all I leave here is this option for parents like me who want one, then I would have done enough. And so I think that's kind of what kept me going through that 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 process, right? Like, so even though I've, you know, I've spent all this money and committed all this time at the end, I have something that works for, for kids like mine. Fantastic. Any final words of wisdom or advice that you'd like to share with Canadian entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs? Um, I don't know about wisdom. I feel like I have very little wisdom, but I will say. I think you picked up an awful lot of wisdom. Come on. <laughs> I think, I think, you know, there's a couple of things that I've told people who've asked me this question. And, and one is like, you know, you got to fake it till you make it. Sometimes you just got to wing it through. And I think that's maybe the opposite of what a lot of entrepreneurs might tell you. Um, and especially someone who's like in business school will tell you the opposite of that. But I think like sometimes you just need to go for it and shoot your shot and 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 try what you're doing. And then when it comes to business, it's, especially when it's a product, think about the problem problem you're trying to solve. If you're solving a real problem, then your business is amazing, right? So you're solving a real problem for people. Your business is amazing. And the other thing I'll say is that you're not too old and it's not too late. And this is about myself. <laughs> you're not too old. It's not too late. You know, I turned 40 this year. Uh, last year, sorry, I turned 40 in the summer and I, I felt like, oh my God, I can't believe that I'm completely doing something new right now um, as a mom of three kids, as an occupational therapist, as you know, all the hats that I wear. And so I think it's, it's you're not too old and it's not too late, I think is a big one because a lot of people get held back by fear of something not working out. And it's important to just go for it if it's something you believe in and it's not too late. And as someone who doesn't think that 40 is old, I think that's the best advice possible. <laughs> You're not too old and it's not too late. It is never too late. And some of, some of Canada's best success stories are entrepreneurs who started in their 50s and 60s. So you have lots of time ahead of you. There we go. To amazing things. So thank you so much. We've been talking with Tina Singh, the founder of Bold Helmets. And uh, you want to check her out at boldhelmets.com. Tina, thank you so so much for the courage that you showed, the the, the, the concern that you showed for, 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 for kids, for their safety and for their inclusion. And uh, we really look forward to following uh, your next adventures. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>